Hello and welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon? How could I be doing any better? We got football <laughs> in three days on Thursday night. It's we're, we're, We finally made it. We've got like a rainy, cold day here in New England, so it really starts to feel like football weather out there. One of the biggest pieces of news of the week. Let's get right into it. Dallas Cowboys not fully handing over those left tackle reins uh, to the rookie Tyler Smith. They signed Jason Peters to their practice squad on Monday. This was a few days coming. This has been in the works since the end of last week. Peters starting out on the practice squad. The intention here is for Jason Peters to essentially be the Cowboys swing tackle this season, but he definitely serves as important insurance behind the rookie Tyler Smith since Smith spent most of the summer working at left guard. So this is pretty invaluable to have Jason Peters in the mix here. Yeah, extremely valuable. I think they would love for Tyler Smith to be their starting left tackle for the foreseeable future after Tyron Smith moves on. But if Jason Peters does need to come in and start, he had a 77.5 grade for the Chicago Bears last year after signing in mid-August, so kind of a similar situation. Um, you know, But Tyron Smith allowed the fewest pressures among all left tackles on a percentage basis, about 2.7% pressure percentage allowed last year so a big drop off no matter who it is but an important and valuable thing in jason peters yeah definitely 40 years old last season i was kind of running some numbers over the weekend about jason peters uh among the the top 32 left tackles in snaps last season jason peters ranked ninth in an in overall grade so he was still a top 10 left left tackle last season despite being 39 years old and you know as we said tyler smith probably going to be the future there at left tackle and i actually remember we were both together kind of the first time that i think we like tyler smith really hit the radar uh we were at the combine um we were talking to a, a source about i think something else and they were basically just saying like hey watch out for tyler smith like this guy's gonna go much higher than you think he will i think at the time tyler smith was probably regarded as what like a third or fourth round pick on most most draft boards Clearly wound up going much higher than that, and uh, he's going to be a very important piece for the Cowboys this season. No question about it. I, I do think he will play significant time at a certain point. Uh, also, with the Jason Peters move, something to keep an eye on for veterans across the NFL is this is a way for teams to also circumvent uh, the, the kind of an, a protection clause in the CBA that enables players to get all of their salary. When you hear people say yeah. every veteran's salary becomes guaranteed on week one, that's what they're referring to um, by putting a player on the practice squad and then elevating them and then officially signing them after that. You can kind of circumvent that. So that's a, a new trick and maneuver NFL teams are deploying as of a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, I remember. I think it was either last year or the year before. The Patriots had both of their kickers on the practice squad for a few weeks. And, you know, it is, it's not totally sketchy in this regard just because Jason Peters did just sign. And I think that he even said, I think he told Cowboys reporters that he might need a couple of weeks to get ramped up here. Um, at the same time, I mean, when did he sign last year with the Bears? That was also pretty much right before August the August 16th. Started. So, I mean, a, a couple of weeks earlier, but uh, certainly not early in the offseason. <laughs> No, definitely not. And he proved last year that he could still be a very effective blindside protector despite signing so late in the summer. Uh, another big piece of news from today. I'm not sure if this is official or not, but the Steelers just released their depth chart on their website, which 
typically for teams is unofficial, but Mitchell Trubisky listed as QB1. He was also named a captain today. So if Mike Tomlin comes out and says that Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett or whoever else is the starter, it would be a massive upset at this point. I think that this is really the way that it's been trending all year or all summer is that Trubisky is going to be the starter for the Steelers. Yeah, and I didn't see that he graded well in the last preseason game against the Detroit Lions. I also, of course, watched Hard Knocks and saw how, how seriously they took that game, particularly in the first half, and trying to win that football game. And he did. He looked really good. He had three big-time throws per our grading. Yes, it's the preseason, but I think it was a good final tune-up and maybe put the stamp on, all right, this is my job, at least for the foreseeable future. Maybe that'll change before the season ends, but I do think he makes sense as the Week 1 starter. Yeah, and it's, it was an interesting quarterback competition because I think that it was kind of roundly mocked earlier in the summer because none of those guys, the reports out of camp were that Trubisky was struggling, Pickett was struggling, Mason Rudolph was struggling. And then once the preseason started, Kenny Pickett looked pretty good. You know, Mitchell Trubisky looked pretty good, as you were saying, in that final preseason game. And this is a pretty interesting offense when you look at the weapons that are around Mitchell Trubisky or, you know, if someone else is named the starter there, obviously Najee Harris, a solid running back. But, you know, as far as the top three wide receivers go, you've got Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, um, and and uh, uh, Chase Claypool. Like, that's among the top wide receiver core. If George Pickens lives up to the hype around the NFL. So, you know, it, Mitchell Trubisky actually has a pretty good chance of success this season, I feel like. It's certainly a better unit than he had in Chicago. You throw in tight end Pat Fryermuth and, and running back yeah. Najee Harris. The offensive line is not great and about on par with probably what he was working with in Chicago, but that group of receivers is deeper than anything he could have even imagined um, within his time in Chicago. And, and so it's going to be similar probably – to those early Bears teams 2018 where the defense is expected to carry the load and be the better side of the ball, but he should have more guys that can catch the ball and make plays in space than he ever did back in Chicago. And it's also interesting when you look at that offense because clearly like no one's drafting Mitchell Trubisky in fantasy, but Najee Harris is a top running back in fantasy. And, I mean, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and Claypool – all are getting drafted. All of those guys are are on rosters across the league. Pat Firemouth is is like a borderline tight end one. Also, I think he's usually like tight end 11, 12, whatever it is um, on, on draft boards. So I, is there a possibility here that Trubisky could be kind of a, a sneaky fantasy play? Well, sometimes it's funny when you mention that you say, well, if this if this quarterback is supposed to be able to carry three receivers that are getting drafted and a tight end that's getting drafted, he's got to be doing pretty well if, if we believe right. he's. Yeah. So and he also he is a pretty good runner in open space as well. When he's healthy, he is willing to take off, get some chunk yardage with his legs, pick up first down. So yeah, maybe we just talked ourselves into a, a late Trubisky <laughs> edition in the deep ends of our fantasy drafts. Might uh, might start taking him in the like the the uh, best ball drafts or something like that. End of the draft, just throwing a Trubisky play. Um, let's talk about some contracts that still could get done over the next week. Uh, uh, the top of everyone's mind is Lamar Jackson. So I, I think that Josina Anderson had a recent report that the Ravens increased their offer to Lamar Jackson. Uh, we'll see if that's enough to get this done. But I feel like. If, if this deal doesn't get done before week one, it does create some inherent awkwardness for Lamar Jackson this season. And clearly he's got to be, you know, even more than usual, praying to, to not get hurt this season and to play at the top of his game. 
Yeah, it, it makes every snap all the more interesting. You know, we have seen in recent history a guy like Dak Prescott getting injured on the franchise tag and still just getting right. franchise tagged again and ultimately signing a very strong four-year deal. And I do think quarterback that's the thing if you've proven and shown enough early on you kind of are bulletproof to a degree um in, in being able to come back and still get that top end deal so look if he does not sign a deal before sunday it sounds like he is unwilling to negotiate which is interesting because the baltimore ravens are one of the few clubs that is very open to doing so um but i think it is good to hear that they, they've sent a new offer in the last couple days i think the russell wilson deal is yet another contract that helps kind of paint a clearer picture he did not get super strong guarantees but he did get strong cash flows in line with his prior deal and of course the total value at 49 million dollars is now number two in the nfl behind aaron Rodgers. so i think it helps kind of crystallize where everything lands and hopefully they can get something done in the next couple days yeah i think that that does certainly help lamar jackson's case uh for the contract the fact that russell wilson was able to make that much on a per year basis the quentin nelson contract situation i feel like it is one of the quietest stories of the nfl offseason i think that we've all just kind of expected him to get a new contract for the last six months or so and he still doesn't have one so is there any concern about this like, what do you think is actually going on here yeah, you know, if, I, if I'm if i in the Indianapolis Colts, I'm concerned with why we haven't been able to find middle ground, knowing that I think right now is the time to strike. The guard market did experience a bit of a correction with Joe Tooney signing a $16 million per year deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. But since then, you know, all we've seen is Brandon Sheriff barely surpassed that at $16.5 million. And that still is trailing top tackles by, you know, $6, $7, 8000000 million. So I think Quentin Nelson is probably pushing for the first $20 million per year deal at guard or close to it. And I understand Indianapolis's hesitancy. My big thing is, as we know in this league, you get it done now. Maybe a couple of young guys come up in the next few years and surpass it. I think for them, you know you're going to reset this market regardless. Why not just do it as early as possible? The only thing I would think of is maybe some injuries lingered from last year. That ankle bothered him for much of the season. But, you know, there's no indication that is the case as of right now. They're also not paying a, a left tackle, you know, top tier money right now. So I think that that, you know, helps shift funds around on their offensive line. Um, I know that Brayden Spence got a big deal there at right tackle. But um, yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I would still expect something to get done here, but it's surprising to me that it hasn't yet. Uh, one final one Darren Waller. Uh, he did hire a new agent, Drew Rosenhaus. Um, we'll see if that's enough to get it over the edge, get this pushed over the edge and for him to get a new contract with the Las Vegas Raiders. But that's another one where I think we'd probably expect something to get done here in the next week. Not sure if there's necessarily concern if it doesn't happen, uh, but I'd say that that is the expectation at this point. I would agree, and, and there probably isn't concern, and, and teams maybe shouldn't operate from this standpoint, but if you're Darren Waller saying, look, we're in the AFC that is a gauntlet of a conference, we're in the AFC West, which is one of the better divisions on paper that any of us can remember, their week one matchup is at the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, it's hard to call any game in week one, especially a must-win game or anything like that, but immediately right out of the gate, let's say Waller does not get a new deal and his hamstring starts acting up again and he can't go in their first game and they lose that game, you're 0-1 in the conference, you're 0-1 in the division, and you're already kind of battling from you know on your way up. And they're currently listed at plus 185 on BetMGM just to make the playoffs. It's about a 1-3 chance to make the playoffs by the implied odds there. So they need to win every single game they can. And a week one matchup without J.C. Jackson for the Chargers and a lot of new faces on that team with Darren Waller could be a great opportunity to do the inverse and actually build a nice lead and, and get a big win under your belt right out of the gate. 
Yeah, and I, we've talked about it before. I mean, the the Raiders have great top end weapons and Devonte Adams and Hunter Renfro, and then if they can get this deal done with Darren Waller, as long as he's healthy, all that. But it gets a little bit shallow at wide receiver um, and at tight end after that to the point where we don't necessarily really, I think, know at this point who's going to be that third wide receiver in the offense. I think it's probably going to be Mac Hollins, but as we've said before, he was mostly a special teamer um, in Miami. They've got Foster Moreau at tight end, but I don't think that he necessarily stepped up the way that some people thought that he might last year. So, yeah, it's, it's extremely important for them to figure that out uh, with Darren Waller to get him in the offense, to get him healthy, everything, because, um, you know, it's, it, it's a team that it's got a lot of talent. It's got a lot of big names, but the depth still isn't quite there. I feel like for the Las Vegas Raiders this season. No, I'm totally with you on the front end and in the back end and the secondary, there's some question marks as well. And obviously their offensive line, I don't think the starters or the depth are particularly notable. Uh, so yeah, I just don't think they can really afford to kind of miss a couple guys and key players for certain games when you're trying to make the playoffs for the second year in a row and, and just not let anything slip by the wayside because of how competitive this is going to be from start to finish. Uh, more quarterback news. Let's get into some injuries. Robert Sala, the New York Jets head coach, said that there's you know, a chance that Zach Wilson could actually play in week one. This comes as a bit of a surprise after he did injure his knee during the preseason. I think that everyone was expecting Joe Flacco to play week one. But, you know, it, it's they said that they will decide on Wednesday who's going to be the starting quarterback. I think it's smart to get out ahead of that. We'll find out on Wednesday who's going to be the starter, but that would be pretty big uh, for Zach Wilson to be able to get back in time for week one. That would be huge. And I think you want to see all development you can. You want to play against one of the league's premier teams and premier defenses year in and year out in the Baltimore Ravens. I suppose you could argue in the, to the counter, maybe it hurts his confidence. We've seen the Ravens really destroy some teams in week one. They're obviously the preseason goats at this point with 23 straight wins. But I remember a couple of years ago, they beat Miami, I want to say 52 to three or something like that in week one. They beat Cleveland really, really bad in week one a year ago or two years ago. So Kind of goes both ways, but I do. I don't think you want to see Joe Flacco in a revenge game, as fun as that could be. I think you got to get Zach Wilson out there, get him reps with the young guys like Garrett Wilson, those tight ends that are new in the offense. It would just be great to see. And, and this is a team that has a lot of pressure on them. Yes, they are the Jets, and no one expects them to win the Super Bowl or anything like that. But year three of the GM, year two of the head coach, year two of the number two overall pick quarterback, they got to play in some competitive games this year. Otherwise, things could change in a hurry. Yeah, they definitely need to show significant improvement this season uh, because, yeah, that, that that New York media is very impatient, and that can kind of affect things there with the Giants and the Jets. Another piece of injury news, James Robinson will play week one. Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson announced that. So, you know, uh, adjust – Adjust the ranks on fantasy. Maybe this lowers Travis Etienne a little bit. Uh, but it's amazing how quickly players can come back from these those Achilles tears at this point. The fact that James Robinson tore his Achilles, I think it was nine months ago, and now he's all set to play in week one is pretty incredible. It really is. And the advancements in modern medicine, and he's seen Cam Akers last 
year. Obviously, that was an, an even more of an outlier case, but just crazy. And it's huge for Jacksonville. I think Travis Etienne should have a big year. He is a big fan, or our fantasy analysts are big fans of his and, and expect a lot of big things from him. But in particular, on third downs, the pass country, maybe he thrives there more. And you see James Robinson working on early downs. He is a very good runner of the football. Um, that's a big development for them. I mean, they need every weapon they can get. You can't take anyone for granted in that backfield or on that entire roster. And that could help with a solid one-two punch with those two guys. Definitely. And then one final piece of injury news, which is good news for the Saints. Trevor Penning uh, could return this season. Not sure if this was necessarily completely out there yet or not, uh, but it was kind of solidified in a report here on Monday. Uh, the Saints do have uh, James Hurst to play left tackle in the meantime, but Trevor Penning had some solid moments during the preseason, and obviously they expect him to be their left tackle of the future after uh, Taron Armstead went to the Miami Dolphins this offseason. So if they could get him back in November, get some practice time under his belt, and just kind of you know, see what he can do in the final half of the season, that would be pretty significant for them because either he could then at that point become the swing tackle or maybe Jameis Hurst uh, could flex into that role. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's been one of the better swing tackles the last couple of years. It does sound like he was supposed to start week one. Obviously, Penning is adjusting from FCS Northern Iowa to the NFL now, but you probably want to see him play at some point this season. And like you said, if not, get meaningful practice reps against, you know, the guys like Cam Jordan in practice that can really show him some good looks and challenge him, Marcus Davenport, all those guys they have on the edge there in New Orleans. So definitely a huge development. I think we underrate sometimes, too, when guys miss a lot of time in their rookie seasons to injury. A guy like Jalen Rago who just got traded. We can go down the list just how much it hampers their ability to grow and how it can kind of change the trajectory of their, you know, the first couple of years in the league. Definitely. And it, it certainly affects things, I think, probably affects things a little bit less for, you know, whether their status on the team is concerned, whatever, for the future when it's a first-round pick. But that's certainly the case with a lot of second- and third-round picks. If they get injured in the first year, if they don't have that solid rookie season, uh, that can certainly affect things moving forward. And, yeah, it could definitely be the case with someone like Trevor Penning as well. If he struggles with injuries this year, if something happens next year, then you kind of start to doubt the future there a little bit. So certainly good for him to be able to get some playing time this season. Uh, let's go through some some transactions around the league. Uh, I want to start off with a contract that was signed on Friday, and that's Arizona Cardinals safety Jalen Thompson. Definitely not a big name around the NFL, uh, but he signed a, what was it, a three-year, $40 million contract with the Cardinals. This one surprised me a little bit. Did it surprise you at all? Yeah, this is a big deal. Uh, I mean, there is now four of the top 13 highest paid safeties in the NFL are in the NFC West with two Seattle Seahawks uh, and two now Arizona Cardinals with Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson. This deal got me super excited because he is a very rare supplemental draft pick from 2019 that went on to get a big second contract. So it just shows you can find talent literally everywhere in this league. You can't rule anything out. He was a fifth round supplemental pick. Now is one of the top 13 highest paid safeties in the NFL. The, de the exact details aren't known yet, but supposed to be around three years, 40 million. But I also think it's just interesting. Arizona and Seattle kind of lacking in talent up front, not the best cornerback situations, but had these dynamic safeties and, and have had defenses that maybe haven't been as bad as we expected. Maybe last year in particular, but the last couple of years, and maybe they're onto something and kind of zigging with other teams, zagging, spending a decent amount of money compared to the market, but not spending a ton of money in an absolute sense because of how cheap that safety position can be. Speaking of former Seahawks safeties, I thought the Panthers made some 
some like kind of sneaky big moves today. They signed Henry Anderson, who certainly adds some depth up front uh, on their defensive line. And then they signed wide receiver Preston Williams and safety Marquise Blair to their practice squad. Uh, this is a team that, you know, lacks some depth and high-end talent at wide receiver. So for a guy like Preston Williams, I'm not sure if you could really ask for a better opportunity to latch onto a practice squad than with the Panthers. Like there's there's a there's a non-zero chance that he could at some point become a starter for the Panthers this season. It's a big deal. And he was a good player when healthy. He he came in, he was the late draft pick, or excuse me, he was undrafted because of some off-field issues during college. When he did get on the field in Miami, he was productive before ultimately tearing his ACL. And obviously he was frustrated with his situation in Miami. They do have some depth at wide receiver. I'm with you. This is a situation where he could end up playing a, a rather significant role later in the year if guys like Shai Smith and Terrace Marshall do not pan out and they want to start looking at some other guys. They made a bunch of moves. Like you said, they also, you mentioned second and third round picks that, that get injured early. They cut Davion Nixon out of Iowa, who I thought was an interesting player coming into the draft. Only played 82 snaps with Carolina before getting cut. I want to say he was a top 100 pick. Um, so they are they are continuing to turn over that roster, trying to find more talent. You know, pretty much every day at this point heading into the season. Uh, one final signing that I just want to talk about a little bit was the Houston Texans signing OJ Howard. Uh, I think that there was you know some pretty major expectations for him signing with the Buffalo Bills. It looked like they were going to have that one-two punch at tight end with Dawson Knox and OJ Howard. Things did not work out for him in Buffalo. Things didn't work out for him that well with the Buccaneers either after he was drafted there. So this kind of feels like one final chance to show that he can be a, a decent player in the NFL, be a, a starting caliber player. And, you know, there's not a ton of talent on that Texans team. So this is another interesting landing spot for me. It certainly is. And I do think it is kind of a last ditch effort or a last chance for him. You got to remember the Houston Texans traded with the Miami Dolphins for Adam Shaheen at tight end. They have injuries to guys like Anthony O'Claire and some other players on that depth chart. As of right now, it's Pharaoh Brown and Brevin Jordan, the top two. And I think OJ Howard will get opportunity. They're going a decent amount of 12 personnel. They like to get tight ends out on the field. He's a solid blocker. Again, all these things went healthy. He did have a promising start to his career. Obviously, it has been derailed by injury. But yeah, an interesting addition. Again, another team that has had more transactions than any team in the NFL since Nick Casario took over, whether that's trades, signings, whatever they're doing. They are constantly active, but I do think it's a, a nice opportunity for O.J. Howard if he can break through in a, a thin kind of wide receiver slash tight end depth chart across the board in Houston. Absolutely. Uh, we had week one of college football on Saturday. Um, there were some, definitely some crazy moments. I'll, I'll just say personally, I'm glad that the Washington Huskies didn't lose in week one to an FCS team this year because it kind of increases my interest in college football for the rest of, of the season. Uh, I'd say that all hopes were dashed last year for me, and it was good to see them get off to a hotter start as a Huskies fan. But uh, what were some of your, your top takeaways from college football this weekend? Yeah, I mean, sticking with the Pac-10, uh, you know, I thought it was it was pretty unfortunate for Utah to fly out to Florida and lose that game, and it honestly might kick them out of the you know the the the, the college football playoff right away. You know, Oregon got demolished by Georgia, so they're not going to factor into the equation. Um, and, and I thought the Utah team had a lot of good players. I love the tight end Keithy on the team, and I, I thought they were going to go in there and give Florida a better competition. Uh, new head coach Billy Napier had his players ready to play, and that SEC just means more. But we got to go to the other end of the spectrum uh, with an SEC team that just could not you know, come through with LSU last night in a crazy, crazy finish against FSU. Two muffed punts and two missed kicks, including the extra point with zero time remaining. 
to lose 24-23 in Brian Kelly's debut. That is that is college football at its finest last night. I I feel like this like it couldn't have gone worse for Brian Kelly really the, the start of his tenure at LSU. Um I feel like this is just a situation where like in two years we're going to be wondering why the hell Brian Kelly ever left Notre Dame. Uh but I, I mean, yeah, that was a uh, that was that was rough for Brian Kelly and LSU and it seems like there could be some uh some potential issues even at LSU with Keyshawn uh Boutte, booty. What's how, what's the pronunciation? Everyone pronounces it different. Everyone has a different pronunciation. I think I think it's Boutte. Could be booty. I did see just to, to push back that apparently it was a group decision with him and a couple other receivers. And it's not a we're mad at LSU. It's a we're going dark because we're going to focus on football and lock in and, and just and get rid of social media. So I think it goes. Let's let's pause before we freak out on social media at a bunch of nineteen year olds. Not that you, not that you were doing that, but um, I'm freaking I don't out, <laughs> I don't think it's turmoil. I think it is. It sounds like actually an effort to kind of be more focused and more locked in and more committed, which they certainly need. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uphill sledding for this LSU team, and the, the SEC schedule hasn't even begun. All right. Well, that I think will do it for today's edition of PFF Wire. I think that moving forward, you definitely subscribe to PFF Wire on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I think the intention here is that when there's big news, we'll be able to drop in and release a podcast. I think there are going to be quick hitters like this one. Today, it's Labor Day, not a ton of news, uh, but uh, we will be you know, constantly updating your feed, talking about the biggest news of the day, of the week. Uh, I think as for now, we'll be planning to do this on Monday, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And when it's necessary, we'll drop in, like I said, with episodes on Tuesdays or Thursdays over the weekend, whenever it is needed. So definitely keep it on pff.com for all of your news and analysis. Make sure to download the PFF app because there is now a news feed in there and that's going to be huge for everyone involved especially brad and i uh, also make sure to subscribe to pff plus only 79.99 per year that is a fantastic deal you get everything that you used to be able to get on pff elite and more for a majorly discounted price and if you're not quite sure whether you want to subscribe or not you can get a week for free, which is also massive. So follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Throw me a follow at Doug Kide, and we will be back with you guys again for sure on Wednesday, and you might hear from us sooner as well.